Uh, Where we're going to be this morning is in Psalm 43. So if you want to take your Bibles and open up to Psalm 43, um, this is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And as you turn there, I want you to go back in time with me to the fall of 2001. So in the fall of 2001, I'm a youth pastor uh, in Olathe, Kansas. And one of my students in my youth ministry, his name is Ethan, he and I are really excited because we are headed to the movies. We're headed to the movies to see the Pixar movie, Monsters, Inc. Now you may be wondering, why in the world are a youth pastor and a teenage guy going ahead to see Monsters, Inc.? Um, well, that doesn't, as your laughter indicates, that's not a, a typical movie that you would expect a couple of guys to get really excited about to go and see. Well, the reality is, is we weren't exactly going to go see the movie Monsters, Inc. We were actually going because we had read and we had heard the news that there for sure was this guarantee that there was going to be a trailer for Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones in front of Monsters, Inc. Yes, that's right. We bought movie tickets primarily to see a two-minute trailer. Now, you have to remember, these are the days before YouTube. This may be hard for you youngins to believe this, but trailers were not first released on the Internet. Back in the good old days, trailers were originally released in front of movies. And that's it. That is the way that you saw trailers. And so here's the thing. Back in that day, you never knew what trailers you were going to get um, in front of the movie that you were going to see. It was totally random. It was a total surprise. And I always remember back in that day going to that movie, hoping that we would get some really cool trailers that we had never seen before. So this was a super rare thing for there to be this announcement ahead of time that there was a guaranteed Star Wars trailer in front of a movie, in this case, in front of Monsters, Inc. And Ethan and I were all in. We bought our tickets to see this trailer. We settled into our seats, surrounded by families with a bunch of little kids. I mean, we must have looked really out of place uh, in that theater. The lights went down, the trailer started, and guess what? They delivered on their promise, and we saw this trailer for Star Wars for the first time. It was two minutes of awesomeness. (laughs) And Monster Inc. was okay, too. Now, here's the thing about trailers, right? You're you're only getting two minutes of a two-hour movie. I mean, all you're getting is a sneak peek of the movie. You're getting snippets and glimpses. And I'm sure you know that the point of a trailer is you watch a trailer in order it's supposed to generate excitement for the whole movie that is about to come out. Now, how ridiculous would it have been for Ethan and I to have paid full price to see a trailer, get totally excited, and then decide, you know what, we don't need to go see the movie. Like, you know what, hey, we saw the trailer, we're good. I mean, the reality is, You can only learn so much from the trailer about the movie. And that's why you need to get the full context when you go and see the movie. And that's why you go to the movie and don't just watch trailers. But sometimes I wonder if we take a trailer mentality when it comes to Scripture. 
At least I know that I can do this sometimes. Because here's what I can do. I can zero in on one verse of Scripture and, and love it a lot. But what happens is, is that we lose out on the fuller context of what is going around that verse, and we miss greater truths that are meant to be seen. Let me give you an example of this. Psalm 43 and verse 4 is one of my favorite verses. If you want to read it with me here in, in the passage here, it says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. I read this verse often because I love it. I mean, I just love the passion and devotion that is found in this verse. You know, the psalmist is calling God his exceeding joy. Not just joy or some joy. He's saying, no, there is a plethora of joy that is found in God. And he is overflowing with joy for God. And I, when I read this verse, I often think, Wow, this is what kind of a relationship with God is possible. This is what a relationship with God can, can look like. One with exceeding joy. And I find myself thinking, I want to know God in this way. I want to have this kind of relationship with God that is trademarked with exceeding joy. But a few weeks back, Psalm 43 happened to come up in my, my Bible reading plan that I'm using. And here's the interesting thing about the Bible. I have read Psalm 43 multiple times. But this time, a couple of weeks back, Psalm 43 hit me differently in a way that it hadn't hit me before. Because what I did is I read Psalm 43 and verse 4 in the context of the whole chapter. And verse 4 took on a whole different meaning for me. I realized that what I had been doing is I had been watching the trailer of verse 4, but failed to see the whole movie of chapter 43. And seeing the whole movie of chapter 43 changed the way I read and looked at and appreciated verse 4. So what I want to do for us this morning is I want us to look at the movie of chapter 43, look at the whole context of the chapter, and see how it fits in and actually enhances verse 4. Because the most amazing thing about Psalm 43.4 is what else we find in chapter 43. So the scripture is going to be on the screen. If you could stand with me and honor reading God's word, we're going to read Psalm 43 verses 1 through 5. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill. And to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
You may be seated. The first thing that we see in verse 1 are three requests that the psalmist makes to the Lord, three pleas that he makes to God. Those three things are vindicate me, defend my cause against ungodly people, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So in chapter 43, what we can see in the context here is that there is conflict and that there is oppression that is coming against the psalmist. There is this ungodly and deceitful people that are coming against him, and it seems to be an intense situation of injustice and lies that are being told. This is not a small thing that the, that the psalmist is dealing with here. Yet in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of this suffering, look at what the psalmist does. He's crying out to God for help. He wants God to act on his behalf. He wants God to be his advocate. He wants God to be the one to speak up on his behalf and defend him, speak against these lies that are being told, and stand up for him. Which really leads to a good application question for us to think about this morning, which is where do we go to in times of suffering? And who do you cry out to for help? Do you look to the Lord to be your defender and to be the one who delivers you? Or do you look to other places? I think one of the most common places that we tend to look uh, to help is we look to ourselves, right? We defend ourselves. We do whatever we think we need to do to deliver ourselves. Or maybe we look to other people or some other person to help us out. We are always tempted to go to other places to find our help in time of suffering. But verse 1 reminds us that the Lord should be the first place because the Lord is the best place for us to go when we need help. There's no better defender than the Lord, and there is no stronger deliverer than our God. Then look at all that's going on in verse 2. This is a really interesting verse. First, there's this great statement of declaration, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. That is a good truth to hold on to in times of suffering. The world may be hard, but God is a safe place for us to go. But then look at the next two statements in this verse. Why have you rejected me? And why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? After this great statement of declaration come these next two statements of, of, of laments. He feels like God has rejected him, that God has turned away from him, and that God is distant and far away. And he's in mourning, he's in sadness because of the oppression that is coming up against him. I mean, this is a very diverse verse. The psalmist is all over the place in this verse. And what verse 2 shows us, is it shows us is just how complicated our hearts can be. There can be this great wrestling match that is going on inside of us. One moment, we're trusting in God as our refuge, the one that we run to in hard times for protection and stability and help. But in the very next moment, we're feeling distraught. 
we feel alone. We feel like God has abandoned us and we are not listening. And what the psalmist is doing here is he's showing us that it's okay to have these two diverse things going on in our hearts at the same time, both trusting and struggling. It's okay to lament. It's okay to let the Lord know where our struggles are at. Yet look at what the psalmist is doing here in verse 2. I believe this is what he's doing. That he's, there's this battle that's taking place, and that battle is between what he is feeling, this rejection from God, with the truth of what he knows, that God is a refuge. And there is a great application here for us in our times of suffering, that we need to battle our feelings with what we know to be true. We need to preach the truths of our God that are found in Scripture to our struggling hearts. God may feel very far away, but the truth is God still is a refuge for us. Then, verse 3, we see more requests from the psalmist that are coming in. Look at with me in verse 3 and see the things that he's asking for. He's saying, God, send out your light. And he's saying, God, send out your truth. And what he's wanting God's light and truth to do is he wants the Lord's light and truth to lead him. And the place where the psalmist wants the Lord's light and truth to lead him is to the Lord's holy hill and to his dwelling place. These are the requests that we find here in Psalm 3. The psalmist is surrounded by opponents who are ungodly, unjust, and deceitful. So what does the psalmist do? He wants the Lord to be his light, the Lord to be his truth, and the Lord to deliver him. That he wants the Lord's truth to fight against man's injustice and he wants the Lord's light to shine against man's deceit. And he wants to be near God once again. Remember what we saw in verse 2, that the psalmist, he feels distant. He feels rejected by God. So his solution is he is coming and asking God to please lead me back to God. To bring him, the psalmist wants God to bring him to God's holy hill, which represents the dwelling place of God. He wants to be in God's presence and close to him once again. And this verse has a great application question for us, and that's this. When life is hard and it feels like God is far away, what do you do? Do you keep coming to the Lord? That's what the psalmist does. He keeps coming to the Lord to bring him back. Do you keep looking to Jesus? When I read this verse, I couldn't help but think of the words of Jesus, right? What does Jesus say about himself? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus also says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is also inviting us to look to him to be our light and be our truth in dark and troubling times. And all of this leads us to my favorite verse in verse 4. 
And here's a connection I want us to see, a connection between first to see. There's a lot of connections I want to make, but the first one is there's a connection to verse 3, right? This leading of the Lord in verse 3 that we saw to the holy hill of God and the dwelling place of God brings the psalmist to the altar of God. This is a representation of a place of worship, the place of worship to the Lord. So I wanted to see here is that the psalmist, he's just not coming to be near the Lord, but he's coming near to also worship and praise the Lord. And the psalmist is also making this connection that being in the presence of God, the place where the Lord dwells, will result in seeing God as his exceeding joy. He is coming to the Lord not just for protection. He's coming to the Lord for his joy. And what makes verse 4 even more amazing, that it's written in the midst of all of the suffering that we've already looked at. In verse 1, the oppression of the enemy has not yet been resolved. The issue is still ongoing, but God is still his exceeding joy in the midst of his oppression. Verse 4 is also written in the context of the psalmist feeling rejected by God. Yet in those feelings of rejection, he still comes to see God as his exceeding joy. Verse 4 is also written in the context of the psalmist mourning because of the suffering that he's dealing with. And yet, in the midst of his mourning, there's still this declaration that the Lord is his exceeding joy. The world is falling around the psalmist. But it is the altar of God where the psalmist wants to be when the world is falling around him so that he can be with the Lord with his sovereign joy and worship him. When suffering in life is hard, God is the one he keeps coming to. And God remains his exceeding joy. And he does not give up on this. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, God is my exceeding joy when life is smooth sailing or when life is a bed of roses, when everything is going easy. That's easy to say, right? When everything's good. But it's another thing entirely to say, God, my exceeding joy when life is difficult and when suffering is present. That is a whole lot harder thing to say. So I had some suffering uh, this summer. Some of you may know this, but some of you may not know this, that I was in, I was in a biking accident this summer. Um, biking is like how I enjoy uh, exercise. This is the first serious biking accident that I had uh, this summer. It was back in July. Um, I was biking with my son um, out on some county roads. Um, we were coming down a hill. Um, I was going around 16 miles an hour. Uh, a farm dog came running up beside us, a German Shepherd. And he ran up beside us, and then um, he wasn't going home. Uh, and then he was running alongside us. I was hoping we could outrun him, but the dog decided to cut in front of me, and I hit him, um, and I went straight down um, on the pavement. And let me tell you something. At 53 years old, pavement does not get any softer as you get older. Um, and I, I will tell you, like, um, I hurt all over uh, from that fall. Um, I had a slight concussion, hurt my neck strained my groin, had road rash, 
had a sore shoulder, pulled a muscle under my rib cage. Um, I was a hurting, I was a hurting unit uh, this summer. I couldn't do a whole lot several days because of the accident, all the pain I was in. It was hard, it was hard to walk, um, just to be honest with you. Um, and so basically, I had to sit around and not do much, uh, which is different for me. Uh, and I was really slow to heal. That's another thing that happens uh, when you get older. It takes longer for you to get better. Uh, and basically, I was inactive uh, of doing anything for the first two months. I didn't even get on my bike uh, until month three. I had to go to physical therapy. Um, I needed lots of help uh, just to get uh, better. Now, here's the thing. I wish that I could stand up here this morning and I could tell you that during my suffering over the summer, that I just went to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. That in all of my inactivity and all my off time, I just spent a whole lot of time with the Lord. But I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to admit I felt pretty sorry for myself this summer. And basically, I sat around and watched a lot of TV. I even dug out my journal. I was like, did I really not spend that much time with the Lord during that time? Make sure that I remember this right. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a little gap in my journal. And so, yeah, I did not live out Psalm 43 very well this summer in my season of suffering. But, you know, reading Psalm 43 a couple of weeks ago made me think, you know, made me think, man, I wish I'd done that better, right? You know, I wish I, I, wish I had a do, or if I could be honest, I wish I could be a, had a do-over from this summer. You know, I wish I had run to the Lord more and had more of a Psalm 43 type attitude. But, you know, in the gracious way that the Lord works in us, that even when we fail, God keeps doing this gracious work of instructing our hearts, and he keeps drawing himself, uh, drawing us back to himself. And to give us these reminders that, yes, like the reminder I got a few weeks ago, God is our exceeding joy. And these past few weeks have been really good for me to dwell on Psalm 43. I really see it as a gift. I mean, I've thought a lot about God and suffering and being my exceeding joy over the last couple of weeks, and that's motivated me and inspired me to say, I want to draw near to Him, and I want to, keep, I want to live in this way. I know I didn't this summer, but I want to live this way now, and I want to draw closer to Him. I want to praise Him. I mean, that's how verse 4 ends. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. That when the Lord is your exceeding joy, one of the natural things that will grow out of you is a heart that praises Him. For the outflow of seeing God as your exceeding joy is to praise the one where your joy comes from, where your joy is found. So let me encourage you this morning. One of the ways that you can grow as a worshiper, is grow your joy for Him. Now, you may be wondering, okay, so how do I grow my joy for Him? Well, I would say this. One of the ways that you can grow your joy for Him is to worship Him. There's a circular thing that I believe happens. That as you worship Him more, you will enjoy Him more. And when you enjoy Him more, you will worship Him more. That's something that I've done as an application over the past uh, couple of weeks um, from studying Psalm 43 is I want worship to be more regular rhythm of what I do in my day. 
You know, when I open up my, my, my uh, iTunes library, um, I have a worship playlist, and that's been more of a go-to for me lately, is I just want, like, I want to apply what I'm learning here, and I want it to be more about worshiping. Because, you see, worship is so important for the soul. I mean, what worship can do is it can help take our eyes off our circumstances and place our eyes on the Lord. I mean, just look at what is going on with the psalmist in verse 5, okay? He's still struggling. Look at what he says. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? The wrestling match is still going on in his heart. Exceeding joy and cast down soul. Our hearts truly are complex things with many conflicting thoughts and feelings that swirl around inside of us. And the wrestling match is intense, right? To have a cast down soul and have a soul that is in turmoil within us, these are significant things that the psalmist is dealing with. We are meant to feel the struggle of Psalm 43 because we also deal with the same sorts of struggles in our own lives. So what do we do? What do we do in these moments? Well, the psalmist has a couple of answers for us as he finishes out the chapter. The first thing that he encourages us to do is hope in God. We put our trust in the Lord once again. We wait on the Lord. We depend on the Lord. We rely on the Lord. We remind ourselves of these truths and we return to these truths over and over and over again. Sometimes the fight is just the fight to remember what is true. And we praise God again. He says, I will praise you, I will, for I shall again praise him. We come back to the same things that we've always done, hoping and praising. The psalmist isn't doing anything new here. He's not reinventing the wheel. He's actually doing something very old. And these are the things that we do to combat our downcast soul as well. I wish I could give you some new glimmer of insight this morning, but I'm not. I'm giving you something old and tried and true. That when we are doing battle, when our soul is in turmoil, we hope in God and we praise Him again. And there are reasons that we hope in God and we praise Him. Because look at the way the psalmist ends verse 5. He makes these two great statements of declaration. One, God is my salvation and God is my God. And what's striking here is the personal nature that the psalm ends. He's not saying, hey, you know what? God supplies salvation. No, the psalmist makes a personal claim here. And he's saying, God is my salvation. He's not just saying, hey, you know what, God is a God. No, he's saying, God is my God. He is mine. He's taking ownership with these statements. I mean, think of the context of our chapter here, right? After feeling God has abandoned him in his suffering, the psalmist is now resting in the truths that God is his God and God is his salvation. Even though he felt like God had rejected him, the truth is that God has never left him, has never failed him, and he is declaring that to be true. And that is the movie of Psalm 43 this morning. 
And what a great movie it is. You know, there's some movies that you don't mind watching over and over again. I would encourage you, make the movie of Psalm 43 something that you go back to and you view often. Because there's so many things for us to see when we have our own fights, when we have our own trials, and we have our own suffering that is going on. In Psalm 43, we see that there are enemies outside of us, like the ungodly people, but there are also enemies that are inside of us, right? There were enemies of doubts and struggles that he was dealing with within his heart. Yet through it all, the Lord is right there dwelling on his holy hill. He is always doing the great work of sending out his light and sending out his truth and leading us back to himself. And notice, I mean, really, what Psalm 43 really is, 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 is a prayer. And prayer is what he is using as he wrestles through all that he's struggling with uh, in his suffering. And what a gracious God that we have, that, the, that God heard his prayers. God is listening to our prayers when we come to him. The psalmist also used worship as a way to wrestle through his struggles in his suffering. So praise him again. It's not only for your good, but it's for his glory as well. What a great refuge we have in the Lord that no matter what is going on around us, we are always safe with him. What a great salvation we've been given. There's suffering that goes on around us, but that suffering will not win the day. God will deliver us. He will bring us to his holy hill. He will see us all the way home. He will be our salvation. He will save us from every trouble. And what an exceeding joy our God is. Whether we recognize it or not, the reality is this is who God is. And nothing can change that about him. So my encouragement for you is to seek that which is true. There is no question that God is an exceeding joy. The only question is, is will we pursue that? Let's pray like the psalmist. We can even make Psalm 43 our regular prayer, reminding ourselves of these truths. I mean, one of the great things that I've been able to do is I've just meditated on this chapter over a couple of weeks. And I would encourage you, find a passage of Scripture, whether it's Psalm 43 or another passage of Scripture, that you say, this is what I'm just going to meditate on. And these are the truths that I'm just going to keep reminding myself of and coming back to. Praying that God will grow more and more is our exceeding joy. And that this exceeding joy would become our personal reality that sees us through every trial. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are an exceeding joy. And I pray that we would be a people that sees you as an exceeding joy in all seasons and all times of life. Thank you that you are God that dwells on your holy hill. And God, may we dwell with you and find great comfort and great security we thank you that you are our light. We thank you that you are our truth. We thank you that you are our deliverer and our redeemer. And God, help us. Help us to keep coming to you. Lord, life is hard. Life is always hard. Life is going to be hard again. 
It's, it's always a battle. But yet you're always there and you're always good. And I pray that the truths of who you are will always speak into our hearts, no matter what we may be feeling or no matter what circumstances we may be in. We pray this in your name. Amen.